0: Welcome to the Informed Simplicity Podcast. I'm Dr. Jordan Harris here with Dr. Julia Conroy. This is our Polyvagal Series. In this series, taking a shared journey to learn more about how stress impacts our bodies from a polyvagal perspective. If you're a therapist or counselor, you can earn CEs by listening. Check the description to learn how you can listen and earn At the beginning of each episode, we like to review the basics of polyvagal theory. Polyvagal theory tells us that our bodies have three ways of responding, all depending on how safe or threatened we feel. First, when we we feel safe or only a little challenged, our bodies are designed to seek connection. This is when our bodies are primed for growth and physical healing but sometimes we face outright challenges. When this happens, our heart rate and breathing speed up and we go into our second response, fight or flight. This is when our bodies are primed for movement. This is also when we are prone to irritation and anxiety. And if we're facing what feels like a life-threatening situation, our heart rate and breathing slow way down and we use our third response, freezing. There are different types of freezing. Some of the types of freezing are things like going numb, fainting, feeling depressed, or having chronic fatigue and lethargy. However, our bodies respond to challenges and threats. The important thing to remember is all of these systems are working together to maximize protection for our most vulnerable systems. In short, Our bodies are designed to keep us safe. To understand the relationship between these three responses and our physical and mental health, we're looking at the extensive research on how stress impacts our bodies. Our main text for this is Robert Sapolsky's book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Julia, I'm so excited to have you back.
1: Oh, I'm excited to be here.
0: We are finishing season one of this series. We're gonna recap everything. We got a lot to go through today, but before we do that, I gotta ask you a question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Have you ever been? This is one. Of, this is one of my my pet peeves that I also do all the time. <laughs> Have you ever been that person who just like floods people with information?
1: <laughs> um, maybe. that's a yes that's a, that's, that's, that's maybe a definitely yes
0: <laughs> tell me tell me about a time when you've been that person when you've been teaching something or talking about something you just like poof, flooded people with all this information
1: yeah I think about this one training I went to specifically on couples counseling and I was just so excited. The first day was seven hours and I'm sitting in there. I'm like, this is amazing. This, I don't even see myself the same way. I don't see my marriage the same way. Like my family's, it's all different. And I just like went home. Um, my husband, not a counselor, very much an engineer. <laughs> I literally pull out my binder and I'm like, you got to see this. And like, let's the look at this seven video. Hours and go I'm going to give you a play by play. And he's very sweet and very accommodating. But I think after about like, maybe 15 minutes straight of me talking I'm like this is too much it's <laughs> <That's laughs> a lot of information um <laughs> i'm hearing myself still talking but i i was just so excited it was so fun i love learning um, and it's exciting to share but how much can you really take in when someone talks for 15 straight minutes about something that you are so unfamiliar with
0: <laughs> so so true I, uh, this is like my, so I hate when this happens, but also like, I'm the number one perpetrator for this. Right. So like (laughs) the other day we were outside, me and my son and, you know, in this city that we live in, it will snow one week and the next week it'll be, (laughs) you know, 70 and then it'll snow again. So, excuse me. So we were outside enjoying the weather while it lasts. And my son's like, we should get the kite out. So we get off the kite. And he takes the bull by the
1: horns.
0: (coughs) So he takes the bull by the horns. And he is flying the mess out of this kite. I mean, it was the cutest (laughs) thing you've ever seen. Until it, like, dovetails and falls into the ground. And then I'm trying to, like, tell him how to, like, get it back up. And everything that I tell him to do, he does the opposite, right? (laughs) And so I'd be like, pick it up by the end. And he'd pick it up by the wrong end, you know? (laughs) And I'd say, hold it up. And he'd hold up the string, but not the kite. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) And I had to come to the realization that, you know what? This is actually a me problem. For what he knows, he's doing a really good job.
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm giving him way too many commands, way too much instruction, way too much, you know, do this, do this, do this. I had to break this down, maybe re- repeat myself a few times if he's actually going to learn how to do this, mm. right? Which is not a strength of mine, honestly. It's <laughs> one of my weaknesses. And that's what I wanted to do for today. Mm. We've had eight episodes of talking all about how our physical health is impacted by mm-hmm. stress through a polyvagal lens. But I know this is like drinking from a water, from a fire hydrant for mm-hmm. for most people. Mm-hmm. So I want to just like slow this down, break this into really manageable bites and talk about how all this applies to us clinically. Mm-hmm. So how does that sound today, Julia?
1: Yeah, it sounds great. I think you know, as clinicians, there is it's helpful to know this information, right? But if we, we've talked, you know, at length about how these systems work, about how stress comes in. And so just taking kind of those bite-sized pieces, um, I think, helps me organize, helps me consolidate what's actually helpful. Um, my, my brain can only retain so much. Um, and so really looking, I think, kind of just to get organized today.
0: Perfect. Okay. So we're on the same page. Well, look, as I've looked over this stuff, we've basically studied one, two, three, four, five, six major parts of Mm -hmm. the body, right? Mm -hmm. We've talked about the cardiovascular system, the metabolic system, the GI tract. Those are the first three. We've talked about stress and attachment, uh, the reproductive system, and the immune system, those are sort of like the last three systems that we talked about. So what I wanted to, to do, to, what I wanted to do today was to give a super high level overview of mm-hmm. these systems and in general, how stress impacts these different body systems. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of this, um, you had some really good clinical implications that I would love for you to just like take us through. So how does that sound? Mm-hmm.
1: That sounds great.
0: Let's get into it. Let's do Let's just dive in. So this is your bread and butter, right? The first one, the cardiovascular system. Because you actually did a lot of research on this and studied this in your doc program. And so it was really cool for me to have you sort of walk us through this. And so my summary of your expertise was the cardiovascular system is made up of the lungs, the heart, sort of the blood vessels, and the kidneys. Mm -hmm. Those are the major players, the heart, the lungs, the blood vessels, and the kidneys. And the main job of this system is to get blood through our whole body because the blood carries nutrients and oxygen. Mm -hmm. That's the goal.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, And what we know is that when the sympathetic branch of the nervous system is activated, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: the the kidney shut down, the heart speeds up, lungs speed up and blood vessels moving away from the heart open and relax. Mm-hmm. So these are really typical things. And we even see this, right? When I'm nervous, what happens? I breathe faster
1: mm-hmm. and
0: my heart picks up.
1: Right. That's and all of this done in an attempt, right? And this is going to be kind of our theme as we're going through this that the reason why like the vessels moving away from the heart open up is because it's like let's get blood out there let's get circulation going out there and and really prioritizing those areas that are are seen to be most essential um that really mobilize the body so getting them out to kind of the limbs that'll help me run that'll help me fight that'll help me um do what i need to do and so really prioritizing circuit blood circulation in those specific areas um that are going to help me protect myself
0: beautiful beautiful that's it my body's saying hey you got to get oxygen and energy to these parts of you let's get after it yeah well there's a flip side of this right that there's also this dorsal vagal branch of our nervous system. Now, when that kicks on, what happens is our heart rate slows mm-hmm. and this can lead to things like feeling numb or fainting. We also might freeze. And this is really hard on mammals because we need lots of oxygen to support mm-hmm. our big brains. Mm-hmm. So when our heart rate slow down, and we go into these sort of freeze and fainting states,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's really, really metab- metabolically taxing on the body. We'll get into into, me- into the, the metabolic system next. Mm-hmm. The big idea is it takes a lot of energy, energy to go into and out of this state, basically.
1: Right. It, it's kind of when um, our system feels overtaxed or our body kind of identifies What I'm doing isn't working. This isn't going to change. I need to kind of power down in a sense just to ride this out. Um, And it is, it's incredibly costly um, in order to enter that shutdown stage.
0: There you go. Okay. So that's the cardiovascular system in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. It's an, it involves the lungs, the heart, the blood vessels and the kidneys and when the sympathetic system is kicked on, then it speeds up. And when the dorsal vagal system is kicked on, then it kind of slows down. And that can be metabolically taxing on us. Beautiful. Okay. The second is our metabolic system. Now this is closely connected to the cardiovascular system. Um, And this really is all about how we manage our energy. And this system uses three different types of fuel fat sugar and proteins those are what they call macronutrients i didn't know this right but apparently bodybuilders are like really know this thing they count their macros and it's and i was like well what's a what's a macro it's actually fat sugar and proteins and your body balances the levels of these uh energy sources in your blood through this hormone called insulin
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and what we know is um that when you have insulin problems that leads to various types of diabetes Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and there's different reasons for that and so Mm -hmm. that's beyond the scope of this overview but like Mm -hmm. that's the big thing to know here Mm -hmm. um and when the sympathetic nervous system is active the body stops secreting insulin which means that your body doesn't absorb the nutrients and saying, okay, obviously you need these things in circulation mm-hmm. so you can power all the things you got to do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's my right, view because, of the
1: metabolic yeah, system. Absolutely. Of the metabolic system. I think that's really well done, right? As our bodies kind of take in food and, and are breaking those down and they are saying, okay, what's the, the best way to store this and tuck this away and utilize this? Um, you know, to, to keep the body running in the way that it needs to, um, breaking down all those different substances, um, The insulin is kind of the, the front runner, right? And making sure that that happens, making sure that things get stored everywhere that we need to. Um, so yeah, when, when that's halted, it's hard for the body. It can't absorb in the same way. It doesn't function in the same way. Things don't get delivered and stored in the ways that are most efficient, Um, So it really impairs that, that capacity to use what we are taking in, in the most effective way.
0: Okay. I'm going to do one more and actually I'm going to ask you, because you are really knowledgeable about this to talk about stress and attachment. But before we get to stress and attachment, let's talk the GI tract, right? The GI tract consists of your esophagus, your stomach, and your large and small intestines. Those are the main players in in your GI tract your esophagus, your stomach, and your small and large intestines. Mm-hmm. When the sympathetic branch of the nervous system is activated, digestion actually stops, which means you stop being hungry. Mm-hmm. Right. But over time, if you stay stressed, a couple of different hormones take over, which make you want starchy, sugary, and fatty foods.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And this was big for us because it was like, oh, that makes sense, right? Because there's sort of this sort of paradox right here. Of mm-hmm. Sometimes when I'm not, sometimes when I'm stressed, I'm not hungry. And then sometimes I stress eat. Like, what's, what's the reason behind that? And it's basically this time idea of initially the stomach is turned off. There's a lot um, and we don't get hungry. But then if that sort of goes on over time, in general, you get hungry, but for very specific things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: which makes a lot of sense, right? Because the body needs is energy. And what are the main energy sources? Things like sugar, which is a really fast sort of energy source. Does so mm-hmm. that make sense? Um, the flip side of this is when the dorsal vagal system is activated, right? When, when we go into that freeze state, which is metabolically costly, and our heart sort of slows down and our breathing slows down, one of the things that happens is that our bowels might release, we might defecate ourselves. And so this is also why, according to polymega theory, a lot of trauma trauma survivors have issues like uh, constipation, um, GI disorders, irritable bowel, or maybe they've defecated when they've been in traumatic situations, right? because the dorsal vagal branch gets turned on in those moments and it how would you say this like stops our small intestine and our intestines from 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 working how would you say that best julia
1: yeah that when the stress response is activated it's like i don't need to digest like (laughs) that's not what's going to be most helpful in these moments right and so if i'm chronically stressed and my digestive system is always getting this sign to turn off um, and and shut down in these ways that it kind of impairs that functioning. It's not able to turn on as quickly if it's perpetually in this state of being halted.
0: Yeah, there you go. There you go. And that's the DI track in a nutshell, right? Mm -hmm. And the major players are the esophagus, the stomach, and the small and large intestines.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: All right, Dr. Conroy, let's talk about your specialty, attachment,
1: I do. I love talking attachment and I I really enjoyed our our episode walking through this just to understand, okay, attachment has really been established in research. And though it was highly controversial when, when Bowlby kind of laid the foundation of it, it is more widely accepted now as just being this huge role um, in human functioning, right? In a huge way um, that humans learn how to regulate themselves emotionally is through secure attachment figures and so if you can like travel back and I remember we gave, gave this overview of anxious attachment right which is i get elevated when i'm alone or when i'm alone and i, I want to reach out and it's scary for me to to feel alone in that sense um or this avoidance sense of attachment right where i still get activated um even though i'm alone and it's best for me to to you know, swerve uh, when I'm around people that in every instance of attachment, it really is how the body learns how accessible is that social engagement system from a polyvagal lens. So we see that when stress enters in and disrupts um, the body's attachment system, um, we see this having a big impact on, on growth. Um, that the, like the physical body's capacity to grow and hit developmental milestones with regard to that. Um, and the reason why this is, is because CRH, that, that growth hormone or that um, stress hormone that's released um, that, that actually halts the growth hormone production within the body, right? Again, that's not seen as something that's most necessary um, when the body's under attack. So that comes to a halt. Um, and so under severe, severe stress, right, when we see these really traumatic images of children that have been, you know, not allowed to, to have typical experiences that have been locked away, that have been confined to a room. In um, some sense, we see that under these moments of severe stress that these children don't grow at typical rates and actually never catch up to peers um, because that production has been so halted. And we walked through an example of this that both of us found so interesting, but also so devastating, um, that kind of compared two different German orphanages. Um, one that had, you know, this au pair that was really kind, um, that was really warm with the children, that spent a lot of time with them. Um, and another orphanage where um, the au pair that ran it was less present, um, that was more regimented, less warm, less friendly. and she was even just kind of
0: critical, like really critical yes, and kind of mean. Yeah. Like...
1: Yes, not great attachment behaviors, essentially. <laughs> um, and, and what we saw with the children raised in these respective orphanages that when paired um, with someone who was warm, that was friendly, that offered this safe and inviting space, their growth rates were typical. Right, whereas those in in the more critical um, orphanage that that didn't exactly provide that safe space, um, that growth hormones um, essentially were were halted in that same way in that more stressful environment, um, and and they didn't grow uh, typically. And the most devastating part was when this first orphanage lost, Um, this really comforting soothing presence we saw growth hormone our growth rates decrease um, with the children that were living there and and so it just goes to show us right the impact that this can have having that sense of social engagement having that sense of attachment can be really transformative and, and stopping that stress response to promote more typical growth rates
0: yeah I think that was the thing that was like mind-blowing because I've heard Sapolsky say this in many of his interviews that the social engagement system is really what allows us to do health growth and restoration and he means that literally like (laughs) your physical body grows best when you have safe connected relationships and healing Mm -hmm. happens best when you have safe connected relationships Mm -hmm. um and so that was like wow that's just a to me, it was mind blowing. Mm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, the next thing that they talk about, our next thing is section five, the stress and reproductive system. And supposedly supposed to talks about males and females. And there's a lot of parallels here, but there's also some important differences. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think you've talked about this before of how, you know, in a lot of ways, men and women are more alike, more like, than, than we're separate than mm-hmm. we're different. Um, but basically what Sabosky says is the big thing about males and stress is sperm are created in the testes and stress shuts this down. Also, um, it's hard to get an erection as the dorsal and ventral vagal system controls erections, right? Basically, you have to be in a calm state to get an erection. And so you see stress impacting not, not, not only the production of sperm, but also how hard it is to get an erection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's sort of like the, the big two things that he talks about with male reproductive systems.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then in the female reproductive system, the big thing to know is ovaries, right? Now ovaries, they release the, the eggs. And a lot of the system is regulated mm-hmm. through this hormone called estrogen. But estro- the body needs fats to create estrogen basically. Mm-hmm. What you see a lot of is people with eating disorders often have issues with their cycles because there's not enough fat to create estrogen. Mm-hmm. And also, um, it doesn't just have to be eating disorder type things. They can be, you know, female athletes who can have irregularities in their in their cycles, or they might go and start puberty later because of lower amounts of fat. Because mm-hmm. if there's less fat, there's less of what the body needs to create estrogen. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of this happens mainly, he says through fat, through low, through low body fat, not through stress. Mm -hmm. Right. But we know that stress can have impacts on libido. Mm -hmm. And so just for like men, uh, we can have trouble getting erections if we're stressed. Women often have low libido because of stress.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that it can touch right so such important parts and such intimate li- uh, parts of life in such big ways that we don't think of. Um and so just appreciating the ways that, you know, the especially in women, right, the way that they sore fat, the way that I'm able to feel safe and relaxed and in both men and women like. All of this is coming into play when it talks, when we talk about sexual health, when we talk about sexual intimacy.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And our last system, the immune system. Can you take this one? I mean, I feel like you just talked about this.
1: I'd love to. Um, and so, yes, we talked about, right, this link that's been developed between the immune system and nervous system. We kind of walked through um, how the immune system's really meant to keep the body safe, to kind of remove any invaders that might be there. And we talked about the way that it does this just kind of through innate immunity, things like coughing, the way that we have oils on our skin, mucus, stomach, all of this, right, is really designed for this kind of generalized um, function to keep us safe. Um, whereas acquired immunity is more targeted. Um, Two specific pathogens that the body identifies as dangerous um, and is really facilitated by those white blood cells. We talked about this relationship that um, in all of these immunities, right, that there's this intense activity um, in the immune system for the first about 30 minutes of the stressor as the body says, like, all hands on deck, let's protect at all costs um, and looks to make that happen. it just gets tired (laughs) uh, and can't keep up that level of functioning at the same rate. And so then we see kind of this drop off below baseline um, after an hour, um, after the stressor has been presented. We talked about, you know, that with the way that it functions with this tendency toward enhancement and suppression, that we also see this influence with um, the immune system uh, being related to social support. That we talked about this statistic that people with the fewest amount of social connections have a 250% higher chance of death as compared to demographically similar counterparts who actually are socially connected. And, and just kind of understanding the role that that plays um, that the comfort and the connection that we get from relationships does have some sort of influence on immune functioning. We talk specifically about how those reductions in inflammation um, when the social engagement system's activated But also we kind of talked about the necessary balance of just because there is this influence, we can't, just like with all these systems, we can't treat this as the only influence Um, or at times even the primary one, right? That there are so many other factors at play. There's so much to appreciate in context about immune functioning that we want to understand that yes, connection can be Um, restorative in a way, and and maybe even protective in that way. But that's not the only factor at play when it comes to immunity.
0: Yeah, it's not a magic pill, right? It's not like, hey, take this pill of friendship and you'll feel fine, right? This is not not how these things work. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think overall in all of this, sort of the big takeaway is our mental health, the way we manage stress through connection impacts our physical health. Mm-hmm. and our physical health impacts our ability to regulate
1: mm-hmm. that's sort
0: of my big takeaways mm-hmm. here so those are all yeah. the systems we covered so far
1: mm-hmm. Ooh, Ooh. what a journey what a, what journey. a process it has been. right i feel like i know my body right better than i have Um, I think you said in one of the episodes, like it doesn't exactly come with this instruction manual. Um, And most of the time when my body's working well, like I don't even think about the way it functions. It just does it. It's only when there's kind of these disruptions that we start, um, you know, we go into the doctor, we start learning about these things. And so I think just learning um, while I'm currently in a healthy state, kind of all the complexity and functioning that goes into that has been. Um, just such a powerful thing for me.
0: I completely agree. And I mean, I guess to that point, you've had some really cool clinical implications. Can you sort of take us into some of those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so really taking this awareness of what are some things that we've learned about the body and how can that, you know, as clinicians, how can that shape our practice? And when I thought really about how this information has changed the way that my sessions look specifically, I'm kind of dividing into, okay, what helps me reframe and see things more clearly and conceptualize the client more clearly, but also maybe what's some information that can be helpful to share with the client. So I'll kind of distinguish between those. Okay. So um, you sort of have two buckets these. of
0: information. You have like sort of the theoretical, this is my new frame, and you have like the, the tactical, this is how I approach clients.
1: Exactly. And, and sometimes, right, it can be both. Um, for example, kind of the first thing that I thought of was specifically, you know, this idea of anxiety. And a lot of times when stress sets in, it's like, okay, I notice this increase in anxious symptoms. It usually doesn't feel good for clients. My thoughts are racing. My hearts are racing. Like I feel restless. I can't sleep. Like it's so uncomfortable. But I think understanding, right, the body's response to stress and and maybe specifically that cardiovascular system that we went over allows us to get more clear on what the threat is to alleviate that threat response right so i I use this reframe to kind of clarify what the goals of therapy are we're not just trying to fight against the anxiety right that all of these symptoms are showing up because your body's detecting some sort of threat So let's get curious around what that threat might be. Let's clarify. Let's get you some comfort in that spot so that the need for this anxious energy, for this threat response isn't as necessary. So that's helpful for me to know that I'm not trying to train my clients out of their body's natural threat response, they're going to need it threats coming like the world's dangerous. <laughs> um, so I'm not teaching them to turn it off, but I'm, I'm using this reframe to kind of clarify how can we get in tune with that signal? Um, so I'll say things like, you know, that anxiety that arises in you, it's actually this alarm system that's going off in your body. It's, it's trying to keep you safe. It's trying to let you know, something's not okay right? Just so that we can figure out how can we tap into that um, and what that signal is so we can get your body what it's needing. And I think the reason I like this so much is because it comes from this posture that says your body isn't malfunctioning. It's not broken. It's trying to keep you safe, right? And that's a good thing. So now we don't have to fight to suppress this body your body's protective system. We aren't trying to deactivate and get rid of your fight or flight response, but let's understand what this danger cue is that's being detected so we can get your body a new way of how to respond um, when it detects that danger.
0: I think that's really important, Matt, because what you're really giving us is two the two different two different points. One is how are you thinking about the goals of therapy? And from a clinical standpoint, the goal of therapy is not to stop the alarm system. That's not the goal. Right. The goal is to help people to identify and get clear on why is this alarm going off so loudly? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you're also giving us sort of clinical language, right? Of even after you have sort of set goals I'm talking with our client, the frame that you're using is a frame of your body is doing this for a reason.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's get curious on how that makes sense. And that's, yeah. I love how that's practical and also like conceptual.
1: Yeah. And I do, I think, the reason why I try to emphasize that so much in in my practice is because I've seen how clarifying and how liberating that can be. That reframe can be for clients to actually understand what their body's trying to do, right? That I'm not broken. I'm not trying to fight against this. like, what's going on with me? What's wrong with me? Um, that it, it allows them to understand themselves better, to feel more connected within their bodies, right? To work with it instead of against it. So I just see a lot of grace that clients then are able to have for themselves with that understanding. Um, I even wrote down um, a a quote that my client had shared in session um, where she said, knowing that my body is trying to mobilize me to protect itself, Um, You know, when I feel my heart racing or, um, you know, this, this restlessness, um, it lets me know that that's kind of comforting, right? That it's trying to keep me safe instead of me just trying to like suppress it and get it out. Um, And so I just think that reframe, right? If we're able to to teach our clients and, and to show them your body's doing a good thing, right? The the cue doesn't match up with the response. So what are ways that I can address that cue differently? And especially, you know, through the polyvagal lens that we've been taking, if I can get myself some comfort and engagement around that, that gives me more options in the cue. It's empowering for clients, it's compassion for clients, and it helps it, that ex, them extend that to themselves as well.
0: You know, I love that, you know, I'm a uh... I think me and you are in slightly different schools of thought on therapy. And but I think we both agree on this, that when the client says something like that, the proof isn't in the pudding. And that's how you know that you're doing good work. Because your clients are basically saying, hey, this has been so helpful for me in relating to myself in a new way. Like, that's really big. That's really, 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 really big. Yeah. And you can't I mean, you can't deny that result. Right. So beautiful. Yeah. Well,
1: and it leads to my client's least favorite homework assignment that I give them, which is asking them to thank their bodies um, for trying to keep them safe instead of telling them to shut up. And this doesn't make sense. And I, what's wrong with you? You're so broken (laughs) that when I'm able to thank my body and say, "Okay, I see why you're trying to keep me safe. I see that this might be the risk that's up ahead. It actually deactivates it, right? And it's like, okay, my my body doesn't need that degree of an alarm system anymore. Asking for that thank you is always met with a groan, and understandably so. It's a really different reframe, <laughs> but it is. It's the only thing that I've seen to really be effective. A genuine thank you, right? Really seeing where it's coming from. Really is the only thing that kind of can permanently deregulate me um, in those moments.
0: Yeah. 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 I love that. See, now everyone's going to start doing thank you therapy. I mean, you got a whole <laughs> model there, Julia. <laughs> you can become oh, the, next, the next guru.
1: <laughs> oh my god! What gosh. about, well, and I,
0: how about you as a, as a therapist, right? Like self of yeah. the therapist stuff. How has this impacted you?
1: And I do. I think that we have both talked about this. We've both been applying these principles, you know, to kids and to our own relationships, our own lives and I do. I think it has also helped me to regulate myself in and out of session. So I don't know if I'll ever get to the point where my heart stops racing when a session goes bad, um, or I notice kind of that stress setting in. But it has given even in myself this reframe of okay, what what is the threat that's here? Is do I feel threatened in my professional competence and what I'm capable of, what my training has been? Do I feel threatened in the way that I see myself and the personal value that I have? Can I get clear maybe on what that threat is? And can I thank my body, right? Can I take my own advice and thank my body for trying um, to send that signal and and make me aware um, so that I don't have to just like hover in that spot of anxiety? And especially with that polyvagal perspective, how can I use, you know, a sense of connection that I've access to, to alleviate my need for a fight or fight response? So is it, you know, popping over to, to a colleague next door just to say, "Ah, oh, I had a bad session. I'm really anxious about what's coming up. Um, can I send a quick text to a loved one that just says, you know, I'm kind of having a hard day. Like, just, I love you. Like I'm thinking about you. I wish you were here. Right. Or or some sort of meditation or prayer that connects me to a higher power. What are ways that I can recognize my anxiety instead of trying to suppress it um, and, and look to get some connection to provide me some comfort? Because if I'm not able to do that as a clinician, that threatens the level of safety that I'm able to provide for my client. Um, So it kind of gives me some direction in how to ground myself and and maintain that self of therapist.
0: I love that because it's, it's practical and also has a heart to it, right? I mean, the practical steps are, Hey, let me go call my husband or t- shoot him a text. Let me okay. pop into my coworker's office and just check in for a second. You know, those are sort of like the practical mm-hmm. steps. But also it's like, how can I attend to myself in these moments?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think in some ways it's, it's 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 inspiring in how congruent it is. If I'm gonna ask my clients to thank their own bodies, if I'm gonna appreciate their body's response, I'm going to do the same thing and offer the same gift to myself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also going to be able to identify with how hard it is <laughs>
0: right? because <right. laughs> I
1: don't always want to think it. <laughs> yeah.
0: It does give you a new level of, of like empathy, right? Like, yes. This mm-hmm. is actually hard because right now I'm like, the threat to me is I feel my professional competence is being questioned. The threat to me is I feel like you know the energy that i put into this isn't isn't uh coming out right like whatever it
1: yeah it is absolutely and i do i think it allows us to have this different sensitivity for clients which is something i'm always looking to grow in myself when i lose touch with my clients experience mm-hmm. that's when i'm least helpful to them right and that's what understanding the body systems understanding okay if they're a really severe Autoimmune issues. I'm perpetually getting sick, or I'm displaying these anxious symptoms um, on a cardiovascular level. It's like, wow, I can really see how devastating this is. I can feel right the level of stress that you're under here, right? But I'm also empathic to even in my office, right? Especially with this idea of neuroception that we've gone over more in those beginning episodes that. The body is always scanning, right? Can I activate the social engagement system? Is this safe enough? Do I need to be in fight or flight? Realizing that scan is always going off in my office as well. So what are ways? I'm, I'm always assuming that my clients are coming in activated, mm-hmm. coming in, receiving the signal, this is not safe, that that's always my default assumption, right? There, I haven't earned that safety just with letters behind my name. Um, So what are ways that I can be actively aware of that and making sure that I'm responding to those scans with signs of safety, that for them specifically, this is a safe space for them um, and making sure I'm I'm amply providing those cues that let them know it's okay to, to activate that social engagement system in this space.
0: I think that's such a big thing for us to remember you know, because there'd be such a, an odd thing. You know, I, I heard someone once say, you never really get used to seeing the same. You never really see, see the same problem twice. And I'm on the opposite side of that. I'm like, no, nah, I think I've seen, I don't think I've seen all the problems, but um, the problems that I see in my, in my, the problems that I see in the, in the demographic that I work in are the same sorts of problems over and over and over and over and over again. And for you, even having that, you have a real awareness of this is new for this client for the first time. And because of that, they feel like I'm crazy, I'm not safe, I might be judged, like whatever the, the cognition is, Right. You know that their neuroception is saying this is a threat. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: being aware of that so that you can attend to it is such a big thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah. And, And to us too, right. It puts us in touch with our own humanity. It keeps us from kind of being off in our own ivory tower that we can relate to clients in such big ways that I can, you know, get in touch with the anxious parts in me and remember what it feels like to kind of be dreading a meeting or to be kind of anxious walking in um, to make sure that that I'm not missing them there and to make sure I'm being cognizant and intentional about responding to their scans for safety. Yeah. Because I do, I think ultimately what this, um, you know, what this journey leads me to ultimately is the power that connections hold and why the therapeutic process is so effective. We are not, even close to being capable of eliminating stress in our clients' lives, Um, nowhere near it. Um, But what this understanding of the body does say is, gosh, we need to find some alleviation for it. And we need to find some way for comfort in it because this can devastate our systems, right? And I think that's why we've offered it in conjunction with the polyvagal theory is because it offers so much hope, right? It offers like this different way instead of isolating and white knuckling and figuring it out by myself and pulling myself up by my all these different like ways we have to refer to this ridiculous um, autonomous way of being that I in my practice can offer people a different way to do things that alleviates the the devastating consequences that isolation and activating that stress response can so that you can have that sense of comfort, right? And relief in that. And and so that just helps me to clarify treatment goals um, within my process and especially I find that the clients that need this the most, that need co-regulation the most, come in with about 23 different treatment goals and (laughs) issues to work on and talk through and all of these things. And it's like, wow, I, I don't even know where to start. I like content wise, like we could jump in and a thousand different entry points that can be really dysregulating for me. And so just having this awareness of, okay, yeah, but if I can teach them, right, and if I can give them this experience of pausing this limbic stress response, and instead, right, opting for this social comfort and and connection, that's really what's ultimately going to be helpful and beneficial and translate into all these different scenarios that they've shared. And so it just can be really grounding and and clarifying in what my work actually is
0: yeah I like that a lot too because I think that you also need that as a therapist to have Mm. a clear sense of what you can offer people yeah you know I think it helps you to not get too upset when things don't go well (laughs) you know and then also helps you to have clear goals and and Mm. counseling and Yeah. I think it also brings a lot of um, stress relieving for you because what you offer then is pretty consistent and predictable, right? Which is another safety cue. So, yeah. Mm. Dr. Conroy, look, this has been so much fun. So much fun. It's been great to meet with you uh, every week, every two weeks and talk through this stuff. Um, I cannot say how much I've enjoyed this. Thank you so, so much for helping me with season one of this project.
1: I have been honored to be a part of it, Dr. Harris, right? And I just wanna thank you too, on behalf of all people, including myself that have benefited from your podcast that you equip us not just to do our jobs, but to think critically about them. And to always foster this sense of learning and growing in that so that we can, you know, renew this passion that led us to the field in the first place, but also be equipped to serve our people better. Thank you for the service that you provide to to so many of us and the time that you put into it, the thoughtfulness, you put the research, I want to get started with, um, that you put into it. It it is such a, a wonderful service that you offer. And I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of the community that benefits from it.
0: Well, on that note, I'll see you next time.
1: Sounds good.
0: Hey, before you go, a few reminders. Since you finished this podcast, you might as well earn C's for listening. Check out the description to find out how you can listen and earn CE's. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, If you learned something, please, please share this with a friend or leave us a review in iTunes. That would help us out a lot. All right. See you next week.